Hello, and welcome back to the Barefoot Books podcast. True love has no bounds, and in this story, based on an ancient Greek legend, Orpheus travels all the way to the underworld to try and retrieve his dead wife. After the story, go to barefootbooks.com to find the complete Stories from the Opera collection. Orpheus and Eurydice, from the opera by Christoph Willibald von Gluck. Eurydice had died, and all her friends were mourning her. Why, Eurydice, they lamented. Why did the snake have to bite her? She was too young to die. Besides, who had she ever harmed? Her husband Orpheus could bear it no longer. The same questions ran through his mind too, and he needed to be alone with his grief. Orpheus's friends understood and faded silently away, leaving him to say goodbye in peace. Orpheus took out his lyre and began to play. His music was so beautiful, it was said to have power over the beings of all three worlds. Mount Olympus, home of the gods, earth and sea where humans and animals lived, and the underworld where the dead went. Orpheus wept and called to Eurydice to come back but it is a rule of the god of death that he never returns anyone he has claimed. So though Orpheus sang songs and played pleading music, Eurydice showed no sign of coming back to life. At last, Orpheus gave up trying to awaken her. He knelt before her body for the very last time and bent his head in final farewell. As he did so, a song of prayer was torn out of him. He sang... Gods of the underworld, you who guard the underworld for Pluto, the great god of death, the one who never changes his mind, please, please let me come into your world. Let me convince you that Eurydice belongs back on earth with me. Let me see for myself if my longing is as strong as your will. All at once, Orpheus' song was interrupted by a voice he had never heard before. I am Amor, announced the voice. I am the god of love. I bring you a message from the gods. The law forbids any living mortal to cross the boundaries of the underworld, but in spite of this, they have decided to grant your prayer. You may journey into the land of the dead. If you can persuade its guardians to let you find Eurydice and bring her back to earth with you, then she will return. You mean... She can come back from the dead? gasped Orpheus, amazed. Is it really possible? Anything is possible, laughed Amor. It's true, you know, that your music can bend the most determined will, but there is a price. 
anything, promised Orpheus, as long as you give me the chance to have Eurydice back. Well then, remember, once you have found Eurydice and begun the journey home, you must not look at her or speak to her. If you do, you'll lose her forever. Now good luck. Be brave, and whatever happens, don't lose hope, and don't complain. Orpheus set off on his quest full of courage and determination. There was lightness in his heart and a spring in his step. Though he knew he had set himself a task that was near impossible, he was grateful to the gods that they had given him this chance. Very few mortals had ever managed to reach the underworld. Even fewer had succeeded in returning to Earth. The river Styx divided the world of the living from the world of the dead. Its dark, deep waters were muddy and thick with reeds, which wound around Orpheus's boat and pulled, making his journey slow and treacherous. But Orpheus toiled on until he reached the other side of the river. There, chained to the gates of the underworld, stood the ferocious dog Cerberus. Anyone who wanted to reach the underworld had first to win him over. Beside him waited the Furies, three terrifying sisters whose job it was to decide where the souls of the dead should go. As they saw Orpheus, a living man, approach, they howled loudly in protest. No! And the souls of the dead clustered around them and joined in their shrieks. No! 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 Who is this audacious human who dares to enter the terrible land of the dead? screamed the Furies. Why have you come to this miserable place? cried the ghosts. Aren't you afraid of Cerberus, screamed the Furies. Can't you see he guards the underworld? Orpheus looked at Cerberus. He was a horrifying sight. No ordinary dog, but a monstrous creature with three great heads that growled and snapped and snarled all at the same time. But Orpheus was so determined to get on with his quest that not even Cerberus frightened him. He lifted his lyre and struck a note which turned into more notes until his fingers on the strings made the music flow. It sounded like the sad, lonely streams that rush high in the mountains or deep in the woods without ever joining up with one another. Then he explained to Cerberus and the Furies that he was on a quest. Eurydice, my wife, is dead, and the gods have given me the chance to get her back. But as the guardians of the underworld, only you, the Furies, can permit me to enter the realm of the dead. I know, Orpheus added, that your rules are very strict, and I do not intend to go against your wishes. But I had to come and see you, to beg you myself, before I gave up hope of taking Eurydice back. Well, said the Furies, wondering what it was about Orpheus that was making them want to be kind. We are feeling quite sorry for you. It was strange for them to feel this way, all soft and warm inside, and they quite liked it. So they talked among themselves and agreed that Orpheus was not just a very talented musician, but a very brave and determined man to come and face them. We have decided to do something we have never done before and are not very likely to do ever again, they said, smiling rather rustily. We are going to let you into the realm of the dead where no living being goes and from which no dead soul departs. 
Then the Furies raised their voices and threw up their arms. Open the gates, they commanded, and let the mortal enter. He has won our hearts. And as the gates opened and Orpheus walked through, the Furies were quite overcome and did something else they had rarely done before. They danced. Oh, how they whirled, swayed and spun. And as they did so, they sent their good wishes with the lonely young man. Orpheus wandered through the underworld, alert for sight or sound of Eurydice. What he saw around him was not always pleasant, and he would sometimes have preferred not to look at all. But who knew where he would find Eurydice? There were people here who had done dreadful deeds, and their punishments were just as horrifying. They screamed in pain and moaned so loudly that at times Orpheus felt he could not bear their torture any more. Then he took up his lyre and soothed their anguish with his gentle music. But death comes to all of us, not just to the evil, and Orpheus believed that there must be places set aside for those who had lived good lives. That must be where Eurydice is, Orpheus thought to himself. If only I could find her. Determined as ever, he wandered on until he reached the Elysian fields at the centre of the underworld where the purest souls lived. There, in the distance, he could hear the contented spirits. They sang of the meadows of happiness, of their blissful existence, and of how they were never sad, ill, or troubled. Orpheus tried to look more closely, but the light was so strong that it dazzled his eyes. All he could see was the dance of the souls as they flitted round in a circle, celebrating their tranquility. What a pure and powerful light, Orpheus thought, and what exquisite music. He stood still for a moment, smelling the fragrance of the breeze and listening to the tinkle of a stream. Everything he saw and heard felt calm, except his own mind. And that, he thought sadly, will never be peaceful again unless Eurydice comes home with me. The spirits around Orpheus picked up his thoughts and felt sorry for him. They formed themselves into a rainbow-like spectrum of colour and began to lead him along. Look for your wife, they chorused, and to Eurydice they sang, Eurydice, go to your husband. Life on earth doesn't compare with the peace we find here, but if you love him as much as he loves you, you will be happy with him wherever you are. Orpheus could hardly believe what he was hearing. These spirits were actually speaking to Eurydice. Any moment now he would be able to speak to her too and see her and... Suddenly Amor's words echoed in his ears. Remember when you find Eurydice and begin the journey home, you must not look at her or speak to her. If you do, you'll lose her forever. Is it you, Eurydice? he asked, averting his gaze. Is it really you? It is really me, Orpheus, Eurydice replied softly. I've come to take you home, Orpheus said. Eurydice reached out and took Orpheus's hand. Let's go home, he urged, turning away quickly. He longed to look at Eurydice, but he was terrified of breaking the conditions set by the gods. Without a word, he led her through a thick forest, upwards over the slope of a mountain and into a cave. Outside the cave was another forest. Eurydice fell back a little. She was getting tired. Orpheus longed to stop and let her rest, to comfort her and talk to her. 
but he knew he must not. Terrified of breaking the conditions, he ploughed on, faster and faster, dragging Eurydice along, so that they could soon be back on Earth, where he could look at her and speak to her. Why won't you look at me, Orpheus? Eurydice complained, puzzled by Orpheus's odd behaviour. Orpheus dropped Eurydice's hand. It was becoming harder and harder for him not to reassure her, and he was afraid he would not be strong enough. He could hear the hurt in her voice as she asked, Why are you letting go of my hand? Orpheus did not answer. I know, thought Eurydice, that Orpheus has gone through dangers and ordeals to take me home, but why won't he look at me? Of course, she did not know about the condition made by the gods. She did not know that if Orpheus turned around even once, they would be separated from each other forever. And she did not know that every time she asked him a question or made a complaint, Orpheus came closer to losing her. You could at least sit down a moment and speak to me, coaxed Eurydice. You came all the way to the realm of the dead to find me, and I'm truly touched, enough to leave my peaceful new home. I'll go with you anywhere, Orpheus, you know I will. But do you still love me? Of course I love you, Orpheus thought silently, but I can't tell you yet. Please, please be patient, and everything will be all right very soon. Naturally, Eurydice could not read Orpheus's mind. She grew more and more hurt by his silence. I think you are being very rude and cruel, she grumbled at last. You've come to fetch me, but you won't say a word. Perhaps you think your journey was not worth the trouble after all. Orpheus, look at me. Orpheus longed to turn and speak to her, but walked stubbornly on, listening to her footsteps behind him, imagining her walking close to him. He noticed Eurydice's voice was beginning to tremble. He prayed hard for the strength not to turn around to see how she was doing. Just a little longer, he told himself, clenching his fists, and I'll have her back for good. But the sound of Eurydice's footsteps seemed to get further away and fade. I don't think you love me anymore, Orpheus heard Eurydice say in a faint, distant voice. And if that's the case, I think I'd rather be dead and stay here. No, cried Orpheus, as her footfall faded away altogether. No, Eurydice, you mustn't think that. Of course I love you. He rushed back and held her in his arms. The next moment, Eurydice crumpled and slid to the ground. Orpheus had broken his word. He had failed his test. Now he would never see Eurydice again. This time she's gone forever, cried Orpheus. What have I done? He fell to his knees beside her. Eurydice, answer me, he begged but Eurydice remained silent. She can't hear me, groaned Orpheus. Please, Eurydice, wait for me. If you can't come back to life, I'll die too. Then we can be together. Orpheus took out his knife and was about to stab himself when a voice rang out. Stop, Orpheus, listen to me. Who are you, shouted Orpheus. How dare you interfere? I am Amor, the god who watches over you. Orpheus hung his head, ashamed that he had failed to fulfill Amor's hopes. Why bother with me, he asked miserably. I've let you down. Amor laughed. I've come to say that you can have Eurydice back. We gods have decided you have suffered enough, and you've proved your love and courage. We want to reward you. From their home on Mount Olympus, the gods and goddesses looked down at Orpheus with pity and affection. 
but of course he could not see them. He watched, feeling wretched, as Amor reached out and touched Eurydice's lifeless body. To Orpheus's amazement, she stirred and sat up. The next moment they were hugging each other and laughing with joy and excitement. How good you are to me, you gods! How can Eurydice and I ever thank you enough? Orpheus said happily. Just carry on believing in us and do as we say and be good to each other, chuckled Amor, turning to go. Oh, and get out of this deathly place as fast as you can, won't you? That's all for today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now you can visit barefootbooks.com slash podcast to find special offers, join our email list, and listen to past episodes of the Barefoot Books podcast. See you next week. Bye.